Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. Uh, we're up on YouTube now. You can check us out on the YouTube machine. We've got our own channel, the Big Honker Podcast. So uh, the episodes that, that we have all the guests in-house, we will record. If it's just Jeff and I, those are also recorded and uh, uploaded to YouTube. Check us so, out and subscribe to us. Yeah, please do that. That would, that would help a lot. We appreciate it. All right. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the one and only Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Home of the Big Honker Podcast and the Big Honker Lodge. Uh, kicking off waterfowl season here shortly. I have some openings during weekdays in, in December. Come out and see us, 940-658-3172, or you can email us at goose at westtex.net. That's W-E-S-T-E-X dot net, just one T in there, westtex.net. We're also brought to you by Gun Dog Outdoors. Uh, protect your pooch. They got a couple promo codes. Trump 2020 will save you 20% on the field trauma kit. Every hunting bag in America needs one of these. Uh, be ready for anything that happens. Um, and also promo code Big Honker will save you some money on just uh, everything else on the on their website. So go to gundogoutdoors.com and uh, get everything you need for your four-legged friend and uh, get you the trauma kit because that's good for everybody. Gundogoutdoors.com. We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. The boys over there, uh, promo code BHP25, save you 25%. Um, I got to tell you, <clears throat> I've been blowing the new duck call of theirs. Money. Simple design. I like simple. The older that I get, I don't like all the flashy engravings and shit like that. The PCD, it's a, it's a real elegant looking call. It's sleek. I like it. Uh, so go over there, PacificCustomCalls.com. Use the promo code BHP25, and you'll save yourself 25%. There's no other company in the business that's, that's giving you that much money off. So Jump on that. I'm telling you, it's free money. Yeah. PacificCustomCalls.com. Also, we're brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries. Get Skinny 2020. Uh, I can't say enough about them. The way that they pack up, the way that they store in your trailer, keep your trailer nice and neat. I saw it's the black and whites today for the first time. Mm -hmm. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's this brainchild right over here, Jeff. And all the credit should go uh, to All Andy. the credit should go to me, but it never will. So, um, But, yeah, I am excited to use the black and whites. Cloudy days, wow. Increase your visibility. Sight travels further than sound. Cloudy days, foggy days. Even if, like, you're hunting a traffic field and uh, the birds are kind of flying over, use something that's going to pop. The black and whites are the way to go. They've also got floaters out. <clears throat> anything that you need divebombindustries.com has got it for you also we're brought to you by boss shot shells my favorite oh the three five blend it's just a wrecking ball had guys this last weekend that were shooting boss and i could tell i could tell the difference they were shooting birds stoning them dead a lot further out than than what you see off of cheap ass steel it only takes one make it easy on your dog shoot boss the guy even said at the end boss worse Worth every penny. Yes. Every penny. So head on over to BossShotShells.com and uh, order it. Get sh shipped straight to your door. All made in America. No big box stores. No middleman. You order it from them. Ships to your door. You don't even have to leave your underwear. Come straight to you. BossShotShells.com. Also, we're brought to you by Foul Bandits. Get the swag that you're going to need for this hunting season. Um, they got uh, hats, shirts, hoodies. And if you use the promo code MIGRATION... You can save yourself some money on apparel. You want to look good out in the field. Foul Bandits is going to help you do that. They've also got trailer decals, uh, shit like that. You'll look good. You'll look good and you'll perform good. But the promo code is uh, MIGRATION, and that will save you a little bit of money at checkout. I really like some of, the, I like, I like some of their designs. So head on over to FoulBandits.com, get some stuff headed your way, and use a promo code. We're also brought to you by Dirty Duck Coffee. If your coffee sucks, it's not the duck. I drink it every morning, Jeff. Me too. Every morning. That's how I start my day, with a nice cup of dirty duck. That's also what we'll be drinking at the lodge this winter. That's right. Helps keep me regular. Helps helps keep everything moving like it's supposed to do. Wakes me up, and out the door I go. Promo code is TRUMP2020, and that, you can save yourself some money on the coffee. Coffee of the hunting season. Um, you don't fuck with a waterfowler in his coffee. You serve him bad coffee, and his whole day's ruined. He'll hate you for it. So head over to dirtyduckcoffee.com. Use the promo code TRUMP2020. Save yourself a little bit of green and get you some good coffee headed your way. 
Oh, what's up next? Lucky Duck. Oh, goodness. The spinners, the blinds. Difference makers. It is. The best blind in the business. Everybody uses the 2 by 4 blind talks about it. The pockets in front. They've got rods that go on the door. Helps keep your door stabilized. Fits four grown-ass men. You don't have to cram anybody. 2 by 4 is the way to go. I mean, it is. It, it, we've, we've switched to them, and we've never looked back. Um, if you're going to be field hunting ducks, you need spinners. You need motion. And uh, Lucky Duck can hook you up there. Everything runs off a remote. Our Lucky Duck took a dump the other day. Dumped it right in the water. Still worked? Well, hell yeah. It's waterproof, That's baby. right. So uh, put your mind at ease. Get the spinner that's waterproof. And uh, if you happen to have an oopsie like I did, well, it's, it's not, not that gonna, big a deal. It's not going to go anywhere because it's waterproof. Uh, LuckyDuck.com and, uh, yeah, get everything that you need. And let's talk about the boys at Looking Glass Duck Club. Ooh. Logan Pyatt. And Rebel. Them boys, I tell you, uh, they attract a different crowd than we do. Yeah, a little little raunchier than we are. A lot of lot, lot of comedy there. Some funny stuff. If you're a bourbon drinker, get on over there. They review bourbon, um, and they'll review it for two three hours in a night time. <laughs> and by the time the third hour gets here, they're having a really good time compared to the first hour. Are you nervous about when they come down here? No, not at all. Nah. He told me he goes, Jeff. We'll see how you do with me and Rebel sit down there with you, and we do some drinking. I ain't gonna be doing a bunch of drinking. Them days are way behind me. You never know. Oh, I'll I have, a, know I'll, have a, I'll have a glass with them. On air. How many glasses, though? One. Maybe yep. two. They might have three or four bottles with you. Well, though. no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I got I to gotta function the next day. But it's rude to do a podcast, and your guest brings you a drink, and you don't partake. Well, I might have one drink with sure, them, but sure. I'm not going to have a bottle. It's a great podcast to listen to. It's a lot of fun. They have a lot of fun. Don't listen to it with kids. Also, they're selling merchandise, so uh, you can you can look them up. They've got, uh, they got some hoodies in. Gold-looking hoodies. They're pretty good-looking, so... Uh, you can just head on over uh, to the. They have a glass. private Snapchat and a toll-free number to call and talk to them. Tell me stories you got. I would stick with buying the hoodie over <laughs> sending them a raunchy ass uh, voicemail, but that's just me. So, head on over, go to there. I think you can get them on Instagram. I don't think that they have a website yet, but uh, they do have merchandise. They do have merchandise. They are the only ones in this business that's going to have a Snapchat and a phone call, eight hundred number. We are not doing that. No, 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 no. Um, also, we are brought to you by the motherfucking Ice Ripper, J2 Outdoors. Keep your water hole open. Eventually, Mother Nature is going to give in and it's going to get cold up north again. You'd figure. And we're hoping it does. And when it does, J2 Outdoors. No sense to spend all the money on leases and stuff in equipment and not have an Ice Ripper. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of self-explanatory that you want to ha- take advantage of this for as long as you can. Um, and don't call them and order it to, today. Don't, don't wait until it's cold to yeah. order one. Order one today, and you'll have it when you need it. Because sometime this winter, you're going to say, I wish I'd have bought the motherfucking Ice Ripper. And you can save some money on the motherfucking Ice Ripper by using the promo code BIGHONKER at checkout. It'll save you 10% off at checkout. That is a good deal. Uh, keep your hunting season. Keep your honey hole open a little bit longer. And uh, keep keep pounding those ducks. Because when you got open water and everybody else is closed... You're going to be in the money. Go to j2outdoorsllc.com. Use the promo code BigHonker. Save yourself some cheddar. Also, we are brought to you by 14 Cattle Company. Meet the difference. Uh, you can get a whole beef, half beef, quarter beef sent straight to your door. Uh, get a hold of them at 14cattlecompany.com. It actually is 14cattleco.com, and uh, you can get your kill sheet fill, filled out and uh, get high-quality beef headed to your door. Uh, it's all natural. It's really, really good, too. I've done steak tartare with it. You better think about this real seriously. The truckers are talking about going on strike in our country until they get the votes counted. If that happens, the food supply is going to get diminished. So that's another reason to buy bulk bulk meat. 14cattleco.com, and you can get everything done right right here in in, uh, our proud state of Texas. 14cattleco.com. Last but not least, we're brought to you by William & Chris Wines. Texas-made wine, all made there in high Texas. Delicious, delicious, delicious. The Skeleton Key, it's my favorite. When I want to feel real real proper, real fancy, pour me a nice glass, sit and watch Desperate Housewives. Good night, Jeff. You've lost your damn mind. <laughs> uh, you can find William & Chris Wines at all the uh, good supermarkets, Central Food, Whole Food Central Market. I fuck it up every time, just like Jeff does the intro. Um, or you can, uh, or you can go to their website, williamchriswines.com and they will 
get you some sent out. Okay, that's all of them. Uh, this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Tony Schilling. Tony uh, is a retired uh, bomb guy from the U.S. military. It was a pleasure talking to him. Veterans Day is coming up, so we wanted to have him on. He's a fireman in Duluth, Minnesota. And a fireman in Duluth, Minnesota. So got a wide wide variety that he can take care of you on. It was a pleasure talking to him. He went on the uh, the big veterans hunt that they have in Wisconsin this year. Had a great time with it. Hooked up with Dan Reese, who's a big podcast listener. And uh, we had a great conversation about his military career and uh, what he's done afterwards. So, anyway, here he is. Give it up for him, Mr. Tony Schilling. Welcome to the Big Honker Podcast, brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. Uh, that that boss, let me tell you, my guys this weekend were shooting it, crunched them. It only takes one. Murderous. Uh, anyway, our guest today, Mr. Tony Schilling from the Great White North. Superior, Not very white. Superior but it is, Wisconsin. But it is very north. How are you doing, Mr. Schilling? I am doing great. How about you guys? Not too bad. It's a little warm. For you know November ninth, but we're making it. Yeah, twenty twenty has been a goofy year in general, so I guess it's not to be unexpected that it would still be this warm this late in the year. I just wish that there was some consistency, yeah. like one way or the other. You know, they get my hopes up. We get these big shots of cold, and then my hopes get up, and and then it fucking it's going to be eighty two here today. <laughs> oh man! You want my new, you want my yeah. newest weather prediction? Uh oh! Here we go. Uh-oh. Debbie Downer for, coming for, out. For West Texas. I'm going to give one for West Texas. I don't know shit about up north, except you guys will be ice fishing <laughs> one day. In, we have had a record, the earliest earliest to be in the 40s ever in September. We had the earliest snowfall ever in October. And I'm saying we're going to have the biggest blizzard we're ever going to have this year. And then it'll be 90 fucking degrees probably two <laughs> days later again, because that's the way it's been going. Well, you guys can have the blizzard. We had one on Thanksgiving last year that was a real bitch. It was I, I had to work at the fire department all you know a twenty four hour shift, and then come home and try to dig out twenty seven inches of snow. So it was. Uh, I, I'd prefer to avoid that again for a while. Does your wife not know how to shovel snow? <laughs> uh, she knows how to shovel, but uh, running the skid steer is a little bit different. I don't quite trust her with that yet. You got to train her up. Get her trained up. Uh <laughs> Well, we're we're working on baby steps. She can she can operate the four wheeler and the snowblower, so we're getting there. Well, you live Small in a steps. you live in a beautiful beautiful part of the world in Superior. Do you? Uh, what's Duluth? It's just like right across the the bridge from y'all, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. So um, Duluth and Superior they call them the twin ports because they share the whole port there, one on each side of the river, basically. And there's a couple bridges that connect them, and everyone knows where Duluth is because it's significantly bigger than Superior, Wisconsin, but um, and that's my, both my wife and I work for the city of Duluth, but we live over here in Wisconsin because life's just a little bit better on this side of the bridge. Uh, I understand. Yeah, those those fuckers over there just ruining shit. Well, you know, it's funny because I'm born and raised in Minnesota and joined the military and lived most of my time when I wasn't deployed in Montana and then moved back to Minnesota. And, and after getting out of Minnesota and realizing kind of, the atmosphere there versus other places, I was kind of surprised. You know, I guess you don't, you can't really see the world until you're out there, and then you look back at where you come from and you see some new things for sure. So, so in what way? Explain that a little bit more. Flesh that out a little bit. Well, Minnesota and and Wisconsin. I mean, you saw the the electoral map here recently, and they always tend to go to go blue, even though the majority of both states vote. You know, most of the counties are red, except for you've got, you know, the population centers in Wisconsin, it's Madison, Milwaukee. Um, well, even our county went blue because Superior has two-thirds of the vote over the entire county. 
And the same thing with Minnesota, you know, Duluth is very liberal, the Twin Cities, what have you. So growing up in a small town, I never saw much of that. I was, you know, more of a conservative environment. And then when I came back, especially once I moved to Duluth and realized that Minnesota, they're almost falling over on the left side of the, of the spectrum most of the time. So that's uh, that's kind of what I mean by that. Plus, you know, our taxes are a little better in Wisconsin and um, we have a little little more breathing room over here because over, over around Duluth, it's it's pretty populated, um, and you know, as a firefighter, I can only live so far away from the city, so I have some limitations there too. Yeah, how far can you live? What is it here? I think it's like twenty miles. No, no, no it's further. It's further than that. Further than that? Yeah, some places it's a hundred miles. Oh wow. Yeah, it it depends on the department. Ours is twenty five miles as the crow flies, so I'm right on the edge of that. You know, it takes me. Because i got to drive through Superior and then into Duluth. It takes me about 45 minutes to get to work in the morning. Um, <clears throat> but I'm at, like, right around 23 miles or something to that effect. So so what's the thinking with that? Because, I mean, really, once you're at the firehouse, you're there. I mean, well, is, is it just it, in case they had to call a, you in? Yeah, it's kind of an antiquated uh, requirement because that, that the thinking is that you're reasonably close to come back in if, if we have where what we call callbacks, you know, if you have a big fire or certain things happen, you know, they can call back people to come in. But now today with, with cell phones and, and everything else, you know, it's it's not that hard to A, get a hold of people and B, to, to get back to town if, if need be. And it doesn't happen all that often. I think that if we pushed for it, they would probably eventually get rid of that requirement altogether. You know, it used to be you had to live in the city you worked in right. for Duluth, like you had to live in Duluth, but that was also because... It just took longer to get guys to, on callbacks and things like that, but we don't have that problem anymore. I think now we just have a problem of keeping guys at work because everyone's getting sick or you know having contact with people or whatever. So, <laughs> I, I think it's more to do from the from the the city administration side of it is that they don't want to catch a lot of shit because we've got a hundred firemen employed by the city and we're paying you know fifty million dollars a year or whatever they pay and all of it's going out of out out of town. So they want it more local. Well, so their tax their taxpayers can't say, well, why are we paying all of our firemen that don't live here to to work here in the city? I think that's got a big that lot is, to do with yeah. it. I think so too. I think that is definitely part of it. Perception is everything, as they say. Yes, you know, and so yeah, I think that that plays into it as well. The times I've drove in Duluth, I've always wondered. The winter time, it's got to be a freaking bitch getting around that town. <laughs> you know, it can be, but. Um, our plow drivers are, are pros, man. I tell you what, and especially in Minnesota with the, the state drivers and the ones in the city, you know, and they all have they all have a piece of the pie in, in the city because some are county roads, some are you know state roads or interstate or what have you. So between all the different plow drivers they've got going, they're 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 good. They're real good at what they do, and you know sometimes they get to get a little creative. Um, I'll give you an example with the real you know the real steep hill that we've got all throughout town. When it gets real icy those plow trucks, they spread salt from the back. Mm -hmm. So they'll, the drivers will back up the hills instead going backwards so they can spread salt ahead of the tires. That makes sense. It does. Yeah. It gets a little dicey in a fire truck sometimes. Fuck, I can imagine (laughs) going down a fucking hill. I can only. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. (laughs) That's a pretty town though. That whole area from there all the way to Grand Marais is a beautiful part of the country. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially, you know, we're, we're past the leaves now. But during that part of the of the year, it, it's there's a ton of people from all over the place coming to drive up the North Shore, and you know, and that's sort of it's a big influx of tourist money, which you know they all the towns along the lake kind of cater to that. So um, yeah, they definitely capitalize on the on the views and and everything else. The Lake Superior is just it's there's nothing like it. <laughs> no, we stayed at the Lutes and Lodge for about five days. Oh probably eight ten summers ago and it was a neat old throwback type lodge and i'd highly recommend it for mm-hmm. anybody that wants you want to take your family on a vacation and do something that's different than the disney world and shit go to the um that shore on lake superior yeah. that is a beautiful oh, yeah. place you know in wintertime there's a lot of there's ski hills and things like that and there's a lot of camping opportunities and you know getting out on the lake itself if you have a, a boat that's appropriate you know or kayak you know people do all kinds of things they heck they surf when it's 40 degrees outside and they're surfing in that, that cold water, you know, with body suits on and what have, what have you because they get some good waves. and Yeah, there's a lot to do. Yeah, I'm a big surfer. I'm into that stuff right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beached whale. So uh, you do a lot of waterfowl hunting up there. Do you hunt on Lake Superior? 
I have I've never hunted on Lake Superior, and actually, kind of the the whole waterfowl thing is has come kind of getting back into it. So I grew up hunting with my dad and my brother and a bunch of guys that are hunting check and we, you know, do duck opener every year and deer hunting, all those things. And then I really kind of, I shouldn't say I got out of it, but when I joined the military and was moving around and, and what have you, I didn't really have much of an opportunity. We did a little bit in Montana, but then, um, just last year I found out about, um, a program we'll call it down further downstate in Wisconsin. Um, and I know I, I told you Jeff to, about Dan Reese, you guys had him on a while back. Never, um, never again. <laughs> <laughs> so, down in Horicon, where he's where he's from, and where this huge marsh is that he, he talked about, they have a veterans hunt every year, and it's put on by. It started out as a couple local guys wanted to take some veterans out, and it's kind of grown year after year. and And I found out about it last year, and I thought, well, I like duck hunting, and I haven't really had a chance to do it in a long time, and you know what have you. And I thought, oh, it's be really cool, so I signed up for it. And, drove the five and a half hours down there, um, to go, to go do this for a weekend. And, and it was just, it was unreal. The amount of effort that these, these volunteers put into everyone, you know, the, the people organizing are volunteers, the guys that are guiding are volunteers, um, all of that. And they have a whole deal set up, you know, they provide meals and lodging if you're, you know, depending on what, what you want to do for as far as where you want to stay and all these different things, everything is taken care of. And the whole premise is just to get a bunch of veterans out duck hunting. And it was, it was a blast. Um, you know, all the guys that we, we kind of went through a series. So we did a field hunt in the morning and, um, yeah, it was, it was fun, but we didn't shoot anything. The geese were, they were cruising at altitude and they were at no interest in us. That also was the same weekend when we got freezing cold all of a sudden out of the blue and it seemed to kill like just all the birds wanted to just get the hell out of there. Um, but then in the afternoon I got hooked up with Dan, um, as a different guy, you know, they mix the guys around, try to get people to, you know, mingle, what have you. And him and I went out and, um, man, is he a character. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's actually how I got turned on to your podcast. So, um, we were sitting there shooting the shit and talking about the stuff. He goes, man, he goes, if you like podcasts, like, you gotta check these guys out. You go, there's some waterfowl hunting and a lot of, a lot of, uh, conservative type viewpoints on different things and whatever he goes, it's probably right up your alley. And so when I left the, the hunt after we, we didn't, we did one more on Sunday morning and we, we got five, five ducks, uh, four mallards and a spoonbill. And when I headed home, I threw your podcast on and I haven't stopped listening to it since. So we, we appreciate that. Um, yeah, <laughs> Dan, Dan's a character. Dan's coming down here. He'll be in the rumble and the stubble in December 11th or something. I can't remember. What At this is. point, who knows? Have you listened to any of the episodes with Blake? Like Poppy? Um, you know, it's funny because I've, I've been trying to do them in sequential order, starting with oh. the oldest, but then my phone, every now and again, my phone will just start picking up on the most recent ones, so I just, like, it kind of is all over the place um, on, on which ones I've listened to, but I don't I don't know offhand. Blake Poppy um, is a guide down here, and uh, he, so we have a closed podcast group, and uh, he, he and Dan kind of go at one another a little bit. About Nebraska and Wisconsin. <laughs> about Nebraska and Wisconsin football, so... Um, Dan's had a whole lot more to brag about than Blake has the last 15 years. Yeah, that's no shit. So with their constant back and forth, we've got a hunt going on down here in December, and we're we're calling it uh, Rumble in the Stubble. So uh, Blake will be here then, maybe, and then uh, Dan will be here. And so I've got some open spots good, on that still. Be a good time. I had a gr- I had four guys that had to back out really because of all this shit. So I've got four spots open for that hunt. But anyway, so it's going to be a good time. We're going to get to meet Dan in person. Like he said, we did have him on the podcast uh, a while back, and uh, it was a lot of fun. So we're, yeah. we're looking forward he's to it. A, he's a character. He is. He certainly is a character. And, you know, like I said, I, I had a blast with, with all those guys down there. And, and I'll be I'll be definitely going back again next year, if that's for sure, because just like I can't say enough good things about what they're doing down there. And, um, yeah, it's it's been it's been a cool, cool experience for sure. So it's, it's, it is a, a veterans good, hunt, is what it is. Yeah, it's uh, Ryan yeah, off the grid yeah. puts it on, doesn't he? Ryan the Buddha. Yeah, he's part of that. And you know, I don't know. There's a lot of different players. I think they've been, you know, and of course I'm a newbie, so I don't remember all the details. But I think they've been doing it for ten or twelve years or something now. And it seems like every year, you know, they grow a little bit. It's kind of a first come, first serve. So in March, they've kind of put out, hey, you know, we're taking taking names, and you, you get your name on the list, and if you make the short list, then they. They say, you know, come on down this weekend and, and we're going to hunt. And they have, I mean, they, it's a well-oiled machine. You get there, they check you in, get you all your, 
all your info you need to know, get you hooked up with your guides. You guys, you know, come up with your game plan of how you want to hunt and when and where and all that. And just get, hit the marsh, you know, or the fields around there. There's a ton of birds. It's, it's just, it's mind blowing. Cause we don't see those. I don't, I mean, the geese and stuff fly over here, there again, but we just don't see the, the same kind of numbers. I think they all kind of, they gather up there for a while to rest up probably. That's a, that's what's what makes America so great in so many ways is, people giving back to our veterans and, and, and getting them involved. And I, I think that's a wonderful thing right there, mm-hmm. especially with Veterans Day coming up, and we appreciate your service. So where, where all were you stationed at? Well, I, when I joined the military, I went down to San Antonio because um, I was joined the Air Force and did my basic training and, and some initial training down in San Antonio, although I never saw them. Other than the Riverwalk, I couldn't tell you the first thing about San Antonio because <laughs> we were kind of pretty much just kept the base for the most part. I did learn that San Antonio in July and August is the most miserable place on earth. In fact, I feel like it was actually hotter there than it was in Iraq a lot of times. But it's a hot fucker. Uh, Central Texas is fucking miserable. It is because it's humid there. Yeah, it is. It's just it, it's there's hot, humid, and it's just the sun never. It's never a cloudy day. It seems like no. so it's always baking Not. in the sun. And, never. And then I went from San Antonio to uh, Fort Walton Beach, Florida, so up on the, the panhandle there, you know, Pensacola, um, Panama City area, right there below Alabama, and did a year there for my training, and then went from there to Montana, and so I was in Great Falls, Montana for about five five years, then I got out and went back to Minnesota. Now, what did you do in the military? What was your job? So, um, my job title was uh, explosive ordnance disposal. So um, I hate to use the reference because I think the movie's horrible, but if anyone's ever seen The Hurt, Hurt Locker. Hurt that, Locker, yeah. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> as anything Hollywood, it, it's very over-dramatized. You know, there was there was a lot of scenes in there that, that were like, you just kind of shake your head and whatever. It, the only good thing about that movie is it, it got some recognition. You know, before that, we were kind of, people had no idea that there was even a job like that for the most part. When I, In fact, when I signed up for the military, I was going to, I signed up for firefighter and this and that, and I put this job lower down on my list. And the recruiter didn't tell me that if you put it anywhere on your list, you're getting it because it's a volunteer-only <laughs> job. Plus, he got a little kickback for it, I'm sure. So he was more than happy to, to not inform me of that fact. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, in the end, I think that my me getting that job versus firefighting was led to way more experiences and, you know, um, it, 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 I just can't even describe how, how how cool that job was, especially when you're you know a young, nineteen twenty twenty one year old guy blowing stuff up for a living is a pretty cool deal. So you have balls of you have balls that go around your ankles, is what I take <laughs> out of that. You know, people say stuff like that, but I I never really thought about it like that. You know, when you're well, when you're young, you you do all kinds of stupid shit, anyways. But I just thought it was cool, you know. And we, like I said, I was. I did all my training. I took about a year and a half to get everything done. And then I got to Montana and you get kind of settled in and every base that we go to, you know, whether and all four branches of the military go to the same school and they all four have explosive ordnance disposal, but they all have kind of different responsibilities. So for example, I was at an air force base without any airplane, but we had nuclear missiles. So we were there because of the missiles in the ground that we had to be, be on standby available if they had a problem with, with the warhead or the missile itself was our reason for being there. And then with the war going on, um, everyone had to, you know, chip in, if you will, to provide guys. Cause we were the, one of the most needed jobs over there with the IEDs and everything. So then they said, all right, well now you guys are, you know, then we started into our deployment rotations where you'd go for, you know, eight months of training and then deployment and then come home, have some time off and then start the cycle all over again. So, um, yeah, the, the Air Force showed me the world only. It was Iraq and a little bit of Germany, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> so, to any, did you ever, what's the wildest thing you ever had to de- and detonate? Oh, well, um, you know, it really ran the gamut. Most of the stuff, for the most part, was pretty simplistic, you know, basic IEDs. But probably the one of the cooler ones we had was... Um, at the time when I was over there, they were making a lot of their own explosives. They were kind of dabbling in in doing different mixtures to try to try to get bigger IEDs and things like that. And at one point, we got called for 
an IED on a bridge. Well, they neglected to tell us that it was 22,000 pounds of explosives or underneath this bridge, just, you know, gas cans and jerry cans filled with this homemade explosives. And they were, the idea, I guess, was that they wanted to blow up this key bridge to try to impede our progress or what have you. And they, uh, they tried to blow it up and it, it didn't work all that well. They apparently weren't very good at, at mixing their explosives. And when we, we get called to show up and, We'd end up taking all of it. It did, did some damage to the bridge. We moved it all out, and put it in a, a, a big ravine that we found, and got way back and blew it up. And I got a video. You can see the shockwave coming down the road at us from however far away we were at the time from the, just the amount of explosives that we blew up. Jeez. And you just you carried all this shit from one place to another. Yeah, it wasn't too far. Like I said, they were all in jerry cans, so we just pick them up and carry them, you know. And well, I'd be um, a nervous wreck. Is your butthole puckered that whole time? Not really, um, because like I said, they didn't do a very good job making it. If if it was if it was as sensitive as it should have been, it would all gone off to begin with. And so since it was not as sensitive as it should have been, it didn't function right, and so it wasn't too much to worry about. You know, it, it, it's kind of like anything when you when you get into the get into it and you start to learn about these things and, and you become more comfortable with handling it and stuff like that. You you kind of get you get used to knowing what you can and can't get away with. So, so how do you know it's not that sensitive? Do you just send the lowest guy on the totem pole to go fucking kick <laughs> it around, or what? Well, um, with, in that scenario, what it was is that the the mixture was still wet. Oh, it's got to be dry for it to work right. So it was still kind of damp, mushy, whatever. We went. One of us went down. I don't remember if it was me or the other guy. Um, I was, I was a team member at this point. Um, you know, so I was, cause it was my first deployment. So I was a more junior guy on the team and I can't remember if, or maybe we all went down there to take a look and, and see, and you know, you take a little sample of it and kind of check it out and see what, what it does. And excuse me, that gives you a pretty good idea of what you're working with. You um, how do you do the training? I mean, you know, I'm assuming it's not live explosives at first. So, what? How do they kind of? How do they bring you in slowly into this, into this job? So, when when you're in San Antonio, um, they they pull everyone aside basically, and they have what they call a, a prelim course. It's changed a little bit because I've been out for a while now, but they basically try to scare the shit out of you to begin with to see if you even really want to do the job or not. Because there's a lot of people that they sign up for it having no idea what it is, and once they find out what they got to do they're like fuck it i'm out you mm -hmm. know so they do that and then if you still want to stick with it then they'll ship you over to florida and that's where the school is and you go through a progressive series of of uh divisions they call them so the first division is just they're in kind of intro then the next division is learning how to how to do explosives so going out with a block of c4 and a blasting cap and and setting that up and then you get a little bit more and they kind of build on that and then once you have that idea down, then you start to go through these divisions that are divided up by the type of ordnance that they are. So if you go through ground division, which is anything on the ground, hand grenades, landmines, artillery, um, projectiles, rockets, uh, stuff like that. And then you go to air, and that's, you know, bombs that are dropped from the air. You know, so it kind of progresses along. And there's, there's all kinds of explosives, you know, involved in, like, aircraft ejection seats. you got to learn all that stuff. Then you go through chemical, biological, you know, you do gas masks and learn about chemical weapons. Then you go through IEDs where, you know, nothing, like you said, nothing's live. It's, they'll have sometimes what they call monitored problems where they'll be like a, you know, you do something wrong and then it'll set off a buzzer or, a, you know, something to let you know you, that you screwed up. And then the final division for, for certain like for the Air Force and, and certain uh, other people is, is nuclear weapons, and you go through that, and then you graduate. Um, <laughs> and then, as they say, then the real training begins, because then you go to your unit, and you start training on all the stuff that you're responsible for at your base, and you do just keep doing more and more training. And then before deployments, they have what they the pre-deployment training. So, for example, the first time I went to Iraq, we went, to, we went down to Alabama first for a couple weeks to do a bunch of IED training. And then we went to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to do a bunch of Army training, if you will, you know, operating in convoys. Um, we had to get qualified on all of our weapons, you know, machine guns and our rifles, pistols, do all kinds of stuff like that to kind of uh, mesh us into the way the Army was operating. Because the Air Force, other than us, there was very few guys in the Air Force that were going off base during during that time period. 
And so we would go out with army escorts and operate in their convoys. We wear the, would wear their uniforms and kind of try to assimilate into them as much as possible. Um, and so then you'd go through all that and then they'd, then they'd send you on your way. That's crazy. What a, can you imagine how many damn camel jockeys they blew up trying to work on that little <laughs> mixture, trying to figure that shit up? Oh yeah. You know, and that's, that happened a lot. We'd get a lot of calls for, you know, the convoy would roll through in the morning and there'd be a dead body on the side of the road with a, <laughs> you know, a hole cause he was putting out his IED and he screwed up and did something wrong. You know, they, they had, they, it got to a point where with some areas that we were working in, they basically had a build your own IED kit, you know, someone smart enough to know what they were doing, put everything together into, into components. And then they'd basically give it to the next guy to go put out there with some instructions and all right, you connect this thing to this thing and set this and then walk away kind of deal to, to take some of that, the, the, the human factor out of it. They don't care though. Cause they they think dying no. is a great cause. So they don't give a shit one way or the other. Well, that is true, too. <laughs> that's, that's sad, but well, that's the way it is. And we talked about this on a couple podcasts ago. Like, 70% of them are married to their first cousin. So they got a, they got a <laughs> lot of – I'm serious. No, that's a, that's, a, that's a legitimate fact. Like, 70% of them are married to a first cousin. So there's a lot of inbreeding going on. I'd believe that, yep. I certainly would. Boy, I feel sorry for my two girl first cousins. They boy, he at the bottom with me and Tony. Woof. But uh, you, you, you know, then that they, they they say that's you know it's 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 acceptable in the in their religion. And Muhammad said it was good. So you know they're getting a bunch of fucking you know. They always said if you look a horse in the eyes and it, and the eyes are close together, it's fucking got too much inbreeding going on. You look at them, their eyes are too close together. Well, you're just throwing out the racial deals today, boy. How? You're making us Trump supporters look bad, Andy. Listen, it's it's a far, far, far away land. So you got some good stories from over there? Uh, I've got all kinds of stories. Jesus, In fact, yes. I was just thinking about this, and one of the stories that was real good leading up to, I mentioned Fort Sill, which, there again, that's another place I'd never want to visit again if I if I didn't have to. But <laughs> I grew up uh, 50 miles from there, so I, I Lawton's a shitty town. It was, when we were there, it was it was cold and it was miserable and we're staying in like the worst barracks they can find. And I turned, I turned 21 when I was there. So the person in charge of our group, um, had asked the people in charge of training, you know, Hey, can you give us, cause there was a, there was a ban on drinking. You know, they wanted to keep us semi coherent for training and everything. And they had said, Hey, you know, can we get a, basically get a pass for, for like one night or whatever, celebrate his birthday, you know, this, that next thing. And they said, no, so a bunch of us thought, you know what? Fuck it, we're gonna go out anyways to go check out the great town a lot in Oklahoma. <laughs> and uh, poor fella, what well, one of what's that? Poor there, fella, there ain't much there. I know that you went to one of the titty bars. There is what you're gonna tell us. Well, so we, we all we all decided, you know, we got to keep it covert that we're gonna meet up at this time. And the guy called the taxi and everything else, and we're all kind of getting ready and waiting. Well, um the guy who's kind of the ringleader that's orchestrating all this, he comes out at the last minute. This guy had thought ahead enough to pack a, a full length fur coat. He looked like a fucking seventies pimp coming out the door <laughs> and wore that thing the whole time we were out in, in Lawton. And, you know, I don't remember a lot of it because as soon as we hit the first bar and started drinking, that was the, the rest of the night. I, I woke up at four o'clock in the morning in, in different clothes than I had, had left in with a giant, <laughs> Uh, giant scrape down the side of my face and someone telling me to get my ass out of bed and get on the bus to the airport before we got caught. So then talking to guys once we got to Iraq and to find it, because I, I had no clue what happened. We apparently had hit made the circuit through the bars and, and I'm sure the titty bar too and everything else. And we got, at one point, I got sprayed by a skunk. Oh, I, I don't know how the hell that happened. <laughs> and then they brought us back to base, I open up, there was a minivan taxi, I open up the sliding door on the minivan, fell face first into the parking lot, mm. tore my whole face up, Got they got me upstairs, got me undressed, threw me in the shower, you know, and everything, I mean, the guys took care of me, there's, there's no doubt about it, because they, and then, like I said, got, got me up and on the bus, and I got out of there just in the nick of time, because another guy overslept for his, his bus to the airport, and then all hell broke loose, so I snuck out of there just in time, and never got in any trouble for it either. What'd they make that guy do? <laughs> You know, I, I don't know. I don't even know what happened because when we were all together for pre-deployment training, we weren't all going to the same places. Like, I went to Kirkuk, which is kind of north, 
eastern Iraq, and then some guys went further south, and they, we were kind of split up. So, no, I never, I never heard what actually happened to him. To be honest with you, <laughs> it probably wasn't fun. Probably wasn't good though. Yeah, whatever they made him do was not was not fun. Sounds like the titty bars in Lot in Oklahoma ain't much different than they were thirty years ago when I went to one of them. If you got sprayed by skunk in one of them, so. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a skunk. I hate to break it to you. Yeah. That, that was a woman's vagina. Yeah, that, that, it was the vagina smell that got on your clothes. I, I went home shortly after that for Christmas leave because that was I think November, December, and then we were leaving right away in January. And everyone was like, "What the hell happened to you?" You know, I was and I was like, "You wouldn't believe it if I told you." Because <laughs> we didn't take any pictures that Christmas either, because my my face was all messed up and. It was it was definitely a good story that I don't remember much about. So, oh <laughs> goodness, I, I you know, it's amazing that uh, some of the stories that people make it out of. It's amazing well, yeah, that we're still here. Know, that's true. Well, you know, sometimes you just got to be lucky, I guess. Yeah. No yeah. Sure. And then, Go ahead. I was just going to say you were asking about stories on deployment too, you know, and and it, it you know, everyone I think has a different perspective on their deployment. You know, I mean, it was. It was a lot of work. We worked day in and day out. You know, we, we were kind of split up into groups. You'd have one group that would do rail clearance, which is basically you just drive around on the roads for hours on end looking for IEDs and trying to keep the route of travel open. And that's where we actually found a good majority of our IEDs was doing it that way. But, man, was that fucking boring. <laughs> what, what are you looking for? Well... You know, kind of, well, I'd say anything out of the ordinary, but over there, everything's out of the ordinary. You know, you're looking for disturbed earth, um, or the, the asphalt is messed up, or there's a pile of trash, or, you know, for a while there, they were, they were hiding their IEDs inside dead animals, so they'd kill a, a fox or a donkey or whatever that they could spare, and then they'd stuff everything inside the animal and then lay it on the side of the road to make it look like it got hit by a vehicle, um, so we spent, we spent a lot of time dragging around dead animals with a robot, too, trying to see if they had anything inside of them. Um, you know, and you, you kind of start to get kind of a feel for when things aren't right. When you run the same route every single day over and over, you kind of start to really get an idea of what, what should be there and what shouldn't. And um, most of the time it was stuff like that or wire. A lot of times they would use, they'd take old alternators and they'd strip the wire out of it because that wire is real thin, but it's it's got a coating on it, so it's insulated. And so you'd be looking for that, just that little little shine where they maybe they didn't quite cover it up good enough to to, to interrogate a spot. You know, to go out there with a a charge of explosives and either you know set it off and see what happens, or dig with the robot, or go down there and kick it. <laughs> hmm. So that I mean, the the ultimate goal in this job is to basically blow up the bomb, right? It's not to defuse it like you see on the movies. Yeah. Yes and no. So, I mean, the movie, yeah, it's obviously they've got this, you know, the fancy like suitcase or briefcase with the, all the wires and the time, the clock and all everything's that stuff. on a timer. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and that stuff does happen. It's never as dramatic as Hollywood. And, and more often than not, stuff like that is what you'd see here in the U.S. You know, some kind of like Unabomber type stuff back in the day or, or whatever. The the, uh, the Olympics bombing and you know, that sort of stuff. Mostly what we had was they would take old military ordnance. A lot of times it was stuff you'd shoot out of a cannon, you know, a projectile, and they would pack explosives into it, and then they'd put a blasting cap and then some kind of trigger, whether it was uh, something you'd drive over, like a pressure switch or um, a cell phone or a radio or, like I said, that command wire, and then that that was the majority. So what we would do is we'd usually send the robot down. We'd try to tear it apart and recover whatever components we could because even back in 2007, I mean, they were doing forensics on this stuff looking at, you know, they could get a piece of tape off it with a fingerprint or some DNA or, you know, whatever the, those guys were doing. But they wanted parts back if we could. And so we'd rip it all apart if we could. And then, But at that point, now you just have a an artillery projectile, which is inherently safe on its own because that's how they're designed to be. They don't go off until you shoot it out of the cannon type thing. And we just take them and, and blow them up off the side of the road or take them back with us and, and blow them up. We had a few of them because... You know, the goal wasn't to, to fuck up all their shit either. And if you blow those IEDs up on the side of the road, then they they mess up the road too. And pe- people generally don't like that very much either when you blow up their roads. So that's true too. Even if they are, they kind of ran the gamut. Even if they are <laughs> just running fucking goats down it. Oh yeah, you know, and and it's funny because, like I said, we'd run for hours on these. You know, sometimes these would last two or three days, and 
guys would get resourceful. They'd, they'd get themselves a big ammo can and, and steal a toilet seat out of one of the the shitters, and they'd, they'd fashion themselves a, a mobile shitter in the back of the the rig so you could you could do your business or, or what have you. And we'd, it wouldn't be uncommon to spend forty plus hours on one mission, you know, sitting on idling on the side of the road in the middle of the night for a while or whatever. And we were we were doing that one time, and boredom got the best of us. And as as you and you guys, we were always kind of had to just be innate knack to fuck with shit you know to try to mess with stuff and and uh one of the guys had figured out a way to and this is back before smartphones figure out how to get his ipod to play on the radio system that we had in our in our humvee we had you know wore these headsets so you could talk and and what have you and he figured out a way to connect his ipod into that so we were cruising around listening to whatever he wanted to put on for us and life was good well we're sitting in that convoy, middle of the night, and um, at some point before we had left that, that previous morning, someone had mentioned that the medic that was with the, the convoy was a former stripper. Mm. So we This is a girl, right? The buzz. This is a her. Yeah, okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So this had been the buzz for the whole time um, about, you know, because we had no one had seen her then because they put her in one of the other vehicles and whatever. And so at one point, like I said, boredom got the best of us, and he threw on this rap song about strippers and then press the mic button and, and keyed the mic and, and broadcast it through to the whole convoy. <laughs> so now every single vehicle can hear that song playing. Cause if we didn't, if you press the button, it would just transmit whatever the, whatever it was. All of a sudden out of the blue, we get someone pounding on our window and the, the convoy commander with us. He's like, what the fuck? He's like, he goes, I know that you guys. And of course you got to deny it. You got, you know, it's not out there. He goes, you guys, you guys, you're the only one smart enough to figure out how to do that shit. So knock it off. You know, he's like, you're going to get me in trouble. And just freaking out. And we thought it was hilarious. And later on we had, we were kind of hanging out with the guys and the, the medic came up to us and she's like, was that you guys that was playing that? And we're like, no, don't think she goes, that was pretty fucking funny. So <laughs> it, it was, it was a combination of just seeing him freak out. And then, and then her actually being cool with it was, it, it, it was a it was a fun experience too. It just, yeah, it just laughed. We talked about that for months afterwards. You know. So was she a stripper? Did she ever fess up? Oh yeah, yep, she yeah. was. Did she dance for Before y'all? That's, the army. that's what everybody in America was waiting to hear. Was you going to say she started grunt humping and grinding? Did she? <laughs> did she smell like a skunk? With, with her? No, that no. Wasn't, she wasn't yeah. from Lawton. She wasn't from Lawton then. Doing, doing her doing her strip there on the side of the road with her body armor and her <laughs> uniform and everything. <laughs> Yeah, you now you can't fraternize with these ladies, can you? No, they're they're pretty strict about all that. There's no drinking. There's no like you said fraternizing. There, you know, everyone's got different. Now, let's be honest that that those rules never really got followed by most people, anyways. Got, sure. Especially the guys, they were always looking for ways to get around, and people got in trouble for it occasionally. Some people were craftier than others, but we we had kind of a, a, a an advantage there too because even on our base where we lived, we lived on a a fenced compound within the base, you know, because of having all of our explosives and classified material and all these things. So we were, we were basically a, a base within a base of our own and we controlled access. So we'd have, you know, people over and, and, you know, girls would come hang out and, you know, whatever behind closed doors. And we never had to really worry about any of that because no one really came and, and, uh, checked on what was going on. You know, they kind of just left us alone and, and, and let us do our thing for the most part. But yeah, a lot of people got in trouble for, for stuff like that. And, you know, eventually they kind of they laxed the rules on on the drinking. They they did a deal where I think it was on my second deployment. They said, "Well, everyone can have two beers for the Super Bowl or something like that." Mm-hmm. But then the caveat was was that you can't you can, unless you're eight hours from your next duty cycle. Well, we were always on duty, so we never we didn't get to drink our two beers. <laughs> Fuckers. Do um, you know people are having sex over there? There's probably some people got oh knocked, yeah. There was some people got knocked up while they were over there. I'm sure. <clears throat> my question is. How can you find that there's no bars in those towns, is there? Because they don't drink alcohol, do they? No, not really. Not not very, uh, at least not out in the open. So I guess it's all the opium that makes them so fucked up. And the inbreeding. <laughs> and the inbreeding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you, how, do, do, do they ship you uh, beer? Well, um, that for that particular instance, that's what they were doing. They were They flew in plane loads of beer. But a lot of guys who are resourceful, the other the other countries didn't play all these stupid games. So you know, like Great Britain or Canada or whoever, they didn't play. They didn't give a shit about you know all this stuff was so that we didn't offend our 
our host country, if you will, you know, uh, the not drinking, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, these guys didn't give a shit. So if you wanted to get some beer, you just went and found the nearest Canadian or Australian <laughs> or whoever. And, and they had the hookup and they fly it in. I mean, that was like, a, that was part of their military operations. They'd fly it right in on their planes and offload it and distribute it. That was like, it was nothing. Um, for us, for guys to get, to get stuff to drink. Otherwise, most of them, they had to get someone to mail it to them. And, you know, you get those little shooter bottles from the, the liquor store that are plastic or whatever. And, stuff it inside of a care package so that they don't see it on the x-ray and then hopefully it makes it to you or you know put it in a mouthwash bottle guys guys got pretty resourceful with with that there again too on on being able to get a drink every now and again so um i can only imagine can can you imagine (laughs) you guys got fucked so bad on this deal during world war ii and even vietnam and korea those guys got to go places and they had some hot chicks massage parlors and all kinds of shit there ain't shit in the middle east no nothing and if and if if we were going off base, it was you know you were locked and loaded. It wasn't going to town to go to go to the market or something. It was it was going out to work. You know there was there was other places that you know like say uh, Kuwait or Saudi Arabia, places like that where where we had bases that people could go out and you know go shop whatever whatever it was for us. The only way we got anything like that was they they had some people that they allowed on base. You know they, to sell to sell their rugs or whatever. You know the souvenir shit that people wanted. And um, also to sell bootleg DVDs, man, that, that, that had to keep that whole economy in Iraq running with bootleg DVDs because they had every one of them. They had movies before they you, they even even heard of them, you know, like, oh, look at this. Like, and you'd buy it for 50 cents and then come go to watch it. And some dude with a camcorder in a movie theater somewhere in China <laughs> or wherever recording the fucking movie as it's playing <laughs> and, then, and then selling it, you know. Uh, I, I mean... There's no entertainment over there, though. That's what I'm saying. I mean, every other place we've ever right. had war, you could get away and there'd have some. You could take leave and go to Tokyo or somewhere and have fun. There ain't none of that shit going on over there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That was. It was tough. You know they 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 did what they could and and then by that I mean some of the bases the uh, the bigger because we a lot of the bases we had were just ones that we had taken from the Iraqis and then set up shop and you know they might have a pool they might have some of these things. Um, one of the, my second deployment, we were at a bigger base. We never had a chance to do any of this shit because, like I said, we were always working. But they had a movie theater um, that they'd show certain films at. But, you know, they're getting, the military had all these rules. You know, it can't be this. It can't be that. It can't be too explicit. It can't be, you know, basically you get treated like a bunch of children. You can't drink. You can't, you know, all you can, you can buy knockoff cigarettes uh, all, all day long. You buy the carton for $5 a carton of Korean cigarettes, but you can't do anything else. So... That's just nuts. You're fighting for our country, but they want to treat you like you're in fucking elementary school. Well, I mean, it, yeah, now, now does exactly. some of that have to do with they want you to be able to perform your job? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, but there again, I think that you could have probably just trusted people to, you know, not be completely stupid. I mean, no matter what, people are stupid. Some guys are going to make mistakes and they're going to be drunk or whatever. But, you know, like like, like Jeff said, every other war before this, they, they let them do all that stuff. There was you, know, you guys and... Vietnam, Korea, and World War II, and I'm sure they were letting them drink. So um, I think it was just... It's liberal oversight. It's liberal oversight is all it fucking is. They try to... Don't want to offend somebody. Somebody might hear the word fuck and get offended. Well, go to the other room, you know? They don't want some titties on a screen. I mean, it's just... And and I think it's changed in just the last 15 or 20 years because... Um, I know I know a guy in town here that was in the military, and he wasn't during the Vietnam. He was between Vietnam and Desert Storm, and he went all over, and they drank and partied and did all kinds of shit. But they just they've changed everything, and they they, they come down on all that shit. I mean, mm-hmm. you put a yeah. bunch of guys on a ship or or, or confine them somewhere, they got to have some kind of fun. Well, and then that's the thing. Like you guys, I know a lot of your podcasts talk about kids of today and, and the way the generations are changing and things like that. And, and, you know, even see that now I've got a few buddies who I, you know, I joined up with that are still in, you know, they're, they're in much more senior positions now. And I talk to them occasionally. I'm like, I don't know how the fuck you guys do it dealing with, you know, these kids and the smartphones and the internet and they're not wanting to work and you know, all these different issues that they have nowadays. And, and, you know, basically having to hold everyone's hand at every turn. And then on top of that, the military itself becoming so politically correct that, you know, you look at you look at someone sideways, the next thing you know, you're getting written up for doing something wrong. You know, I I, I, I don't think I'd fit in very well. I'd probably be the guy who was still one of the low ranks because he keeps getting in trouble or something. You know, I, I just couldn't <laughs> couldn't do it. 
I don't know how I don't know how people still do, to be honest with you. But I'm sure our parents did the same shit about our generation and their parents about them and everything else too. So oh, I guarantee you, yeah, it's always the it's always the uh, youth of youth of the nation that's ruining the country. No matter what generation you're talking about, <laughs> even I mean, the greatest generation, the generation yeah, they before were them, were like y'all are a bunch of pussies. Y'all are a bunch of pussies. And you know, I, used right. dra- I used to jack off with stickers when I was your age. Just a, <laughs> just a callus up my penis. <laughs> well, you, you know the other problem. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. I just the shit Andy comes up with. I just. <laughs> I'm sure that's what they said in the 20s, Jeff. Calloused up their penis. I wanted to callous up my penis because I was going to go to war and I was going to. I was gonna you gotta a, make yourself tough. That's right. That would that's do right. it. That would do it. War it ain't got nothing on jacking off with stickers. They were always they were always thinking ahead that generation. Um, you know, it's, I don't it's know. Funny it. too, because go ahead. I was gonna say it's funny because you're talking about how there was no relief or anything, no way to blow off steam. Well, then the other the problem you had then as soon as as soon as you got somewhere that there was, then oh, all yeah. hell broke loose. Hell you know, broke, we, yeah. We landed in Germany on the way home on my first deployment, and from Kuwait to Germany, they couldn't serve alcohol for whatever reason. But once we took off from Germany, then all the, the alcohol came out, you know, the beer carts and whatever on the airplane. And it was, uh, you know, this was a military-only flight. It was like a pack of dogs on a three-legged cat. They, we were after that stuff, like, like you, you were fist-fighting, whatever, practically, in the, in the aisles to get it get at the booze. And uh, there was there was uh, one, one guy, he uh, he drank a little too much, passed out in the lavatory. Then uh, some other guys got pissed because the lavatory was, was the guys in there and they couldn't wake him up. But then other guys got, then his guys got pissed. You know, there was literally a fist fight in midair somewhere over the Atlantic. Oh, shit. Because everyone's drunker than shit now all of a sudden because they haven't drank for the last six, seven months. And, and then we land in Baltimore and it's just like, I can only imagine that, you know, it, it's just like spilling out of the airport and we hitting every bar you can find and, that's a good yeah, place to totally. fuck up, though. There you, you're not going to do nothing. All you do is cause some improvements there. You're not going to cause any damage in Baltimore. In Baltimore? No. No. But, I, I mean, you know, I can only imagine. You know, and you're also talking about kids that are in their early 20s. And you've got, right. you've got them cooped up and away from all these, all these things that kids in their early 20s are doing everywhere. And I can only imagine when, when you get the green light, it's fucking go time. Yep. Oh, yeah. Have you seen? Uh, I, I had a picture in my mind. Have you seen the Wolf of Wall Street when they're going to his bachelor party? Yep. Oh, that, that's what I envisioned the plane being yeah. like. Just fucking, <laughs> just shit everywhere and a ruckus oh, crowd, yeah. and that, that that's know, and, that's and the image I had in my head. Those poor stewardesses. I'm sure that they were they were well accustomed to that happening because we couldn't have been the first group or the last group to act like that. But they put up with a lot of shit. I'm sure from a lot of guys because yeah, it's just it's mayhem. As soon as the the wheels come off the ground in Germany, and then the whole plane just falls apart. I would want some old, old, dried up, grouchy ass stewardess. Yeah. You do not want that young one in there. No, 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 no. <laughs> not with those. Not with those degenerates. No. <laughs> you want somebody that can barely push that. And hell, even she might not be safe. Yeah. You want somebody old enough to get away, but she, ugly enough to where it's not worth the time. And, and she's going to appreciate the compliments thrown her way. Oh yeah, she'll, she'll be on cloud nine. Those soldiers thought I was that, the best looking yeah. thing. No more ladies be fighting that for that ride from Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was oh, her name? Oh, uh, God damn, I can't remember. Oh God, what a big. Uh, she was not very pretty. <laughs> I forgot about that. She'll be with you shortly. <laughs> that, that, damn, she'd stop a clock. <laughs> that was at the restaurant. Wasn't yeah, it? boy, she was what ugly. Was her name? Well, it wasn't. I can't remember what her name was. It wasn't Heather. Uh, I don't know, but she just they just kept saying, she'll be here in a second. She'll be here in a second. Dad, goddamn, that's awful disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was going to be a whole lot better looking than that. <laughs> She'd make a freight train take a dirt road is one thing he said. So so why did you, uh, you didn't want, after your experience, you didn't want to go like ATF or, or something and, and continue your uh, bomb disposal career? You know, um, I thought about it. And, and another cool aspect of the job that, we had was when we were not deployed, we, the secret for the secret service doesn't have their own bomb guys. They've got guys that have gotten out that work for them that are kind of like liaisons, but the actual bomb squad work is done by the military. So when I, between my two, my two deployments in 07, 08, 09, whatever, I think it was, it was 08. I was there. They could get sent out to the white house. That was one of the details you could get. You could either go on on missions. So if the, say 
presidents going to, I don't know, we'll say, we'll say Dallas, then they would find the nearest EOD unit, whether it's Army, Air Force, or whoever, and and task them, or they'd, you know, they'd kind of put out a, a thing to the to the whole community and say, we need X amount of guys for this mission, and then you'd go and you'd do your part. And, um, but one of the one of the cool ones was they they did thirty day rotations at the White House, so I got picked for that. Me and one of the other guys from a unit, we did we lived in Georgetown in a hotel that the Secret Service paid for, and we worked twenty four hour shifts at the White House. You know, we'd go and whenever they would be screening vehicles, if they found something suspicious, they'd call us to come check it out. Or we had one guy throw something over the fence one morning, and you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And you know, I, I thought about doing that. But then the problem is that with a lot of that stuff, you got to live in a big city somewhere yeah. to be close to where they've got these guys stationed. And I thought even about general law enforcement, my dad was a, a he's a retired sheriff. Um, and he said, you know, he goes, I'll tell you this. And he goes, it's the clearest way I can explain it to you. He goes, everything but between the two in Minnesota, you know, retirement, whatever is all the same for cops and firemen. He's like, but when people wave at a cop, they wave with one finger. And when they wave at a fireman, they use all five. He goes, yeah. go be a firefighter. He's like, people like you, you get all the same per you know, everything, all the benefits are the same in the long run. He goes, people just like you more. So that's kind of what sent me down that road. I, I started as a volunteer in Montana off base. You had to get permission from the, from your commander to, to do stuff like that. Cause it was considered, you know, risky off, off duty employment or whatever. And, um, I got the go ahead. So I started volunteering with a little department nearby there and then got out and, Came back, came to Duluth, and went to went to school for two years to get a, a degree in firefighting, fire science, whatever, and then started applying all over the Midwest, basically, to to find a job. And uh, it just happened that Duluth was the first one to offer me a job, and that's where I've been now. <laughs> Isn't that a fucking travesty? I mean, and now that uh, Biden is our president elect, as of this moment on Monday, um, <laughs> I mean, there's just no telling what he you know he he wants to reimagine the police force so there's no telling what the fuck it's going to look like in a couple of years well, i can tell you yeah, Knox you know, city texas is going to be a good place to be living or any small town in america yeah yeah and and that's the thing too like i i, I truly feel bad for a lot of our guys i mean they put up with a lot of shit we do they have we to put now? up with it but yeah. you know we also have the excuse if if you know, people get out of hand with us, you know, well, we're not, we're not police officers. So we're not kind of held to the same standard. You know, we don't necessarily have to sit there and deal with these people. If we don't, if, if there's no medical need or anything else from us, we can just be like, all right, fine. Well, if you're going to be that way, then we'll leave you be and move on our way. But you know, these guys have to enforce the laws and they have to deal with all this. And people just, I've seen people not even anything to do with what's going on. We'll be on a call for whatever. And well, the cops will be there with us and people just randomly will come right out of the woodwork and go over and just confront them. Just, just to cause just, drama with them, to fight with them, to try to get them to do something to get their Facebook fame, you know. Just to tell them basically, fuck you. Just come out yeah, of the woodworks. Just to, just to say that. And, like, the, I mean, it's just, it's sad. It's sad that we don't uh, that we don't have more respect for our police officers than we do right now. Um, but the rubber band will snap back, and, and we'll, get, we'll get back on the right track eventually. I mean, we might have to go through some dark days to – to finally have the realization that, that, uh, you know, these people do, they're in a thankless job. They work long hours. They're away from their family. They're dealing with stress and, uh, you know, things will snap back, but we just, we might be in for a couple of dark years, but, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's exactly true. You're going to, people are going to have to, they're going to have to feel the hurt of not getting the services that they're used to getting, you know, not, not having the, the police be able to show up as quick as possible because now they've cut all their funding or, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, it'll take, it'll take some hurt before it gets better. I think buy more guns and be prepared to protect yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the honest to God truth. If you live in a big city, I got lots of those. don't, don't count on nine one one being there. Treat it like if you went to Mexico on vacation and some shit happened to you, <laughs> you know, without the gun and the bullets. Good, right? Yeah. You can't do that and ask for a bottle of tequila. Get a social worker headed your way. Well, hey, on, on behalf of Veterans Day, I want to appreciate you for your service, and we, we thank you for being on here with us. We've really enjoyed this. It's a good story. and Yeah, it's been fun. Hopefully one day you can come down here and hang out with us, and um, I guess you could probably even catch a ride with Dan. I don't know if I'd want to do that to anybody. <laughs> but Just catch catch a flight. That's too long in a vehicle with Dan. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to come down there sometime. That would be, be a blast. Beautiful. Well, we really appreciate you, and like Jeff said, we appreciate your service, and uh, I've had a great time talking to you. 
you know, thank you guys and, and me as well too. It's been it's been a lot of fun. All right, but will you take care of yourself and uh, hopefully you get out there a couple more times this year and uh, shoot some more shoot some more birds. Yeah, you too. Thank Perfect. you. Thank Bye. you. Bye bye. Mr. Schilling, very interesting man. Good story, veteran. We need you know. My hat's off to those guys. Veterans Day is coming on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to have also Wednesday's Armistice Day day, and we were going to have a special Armistice Day storm uh, podcast. We'll have it on Wednesday also. So, anyways, thank y'all for listening to you. God bless y'all, and have a great day. Also, go check out all of our great sponsors. Go check out uh, Pacific Calls. They got the promo code BHP25. You can save 25% on all the calls that you get. Uh, Foul Bandits, they have a they have a promo code also. Gundog Outdoors, they got two promo codes. Trump 2020 will save you 20% on the field trauma kit. Check out Die Bomb for your decoys. Boss Shot Shells, Lucky Duck, Looking Glass Duck Club, 14 Cattle Company, William Chris Wines, and Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Bye-bye.